follow along with my sermon. Okay. It's just those four points, and I'm going to say them before I do anything. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. How are your little ones? Oh, uh, they're good. That's right. Father, I come before you now again, asking for your help. Father, we're preparing to sit under your word now. Lord, we know apart from your spirit giving us the ability to hear, we can. So Lord, we're asking now that your spirit would come, that your spirit would open our ears and open our hearts and open our minds to hear the truth of your word. Father, as I've already prayed, you know our week. You know the week we've had. You know the struggles and the trials that we face on a daily basis. Father, you know the anxieties that we're fearing over the next week. Father, may we just lay them at the altar this morning. Father, may we focus on your word. We focus on what it has to say to us and how fitting it is that we pray for two brothers in faith this morning. So we come to your word recognizing that faith is all we need. Lord, I ask for your power to help me now as I preach this message. You know the struggles I had in preparing me. You know the weakness that I feel right now, Father, just be my strength. Give me the words to speak and the faith to trust that what I say is what you once said. That your word will not return to you, Lord. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. On to Galatians 3 this morning again. Last time we were in Galatians 3, we looked at the first five verses, and if you remember, Paul is rebuking, he's teaching against, he's preaching against these Judaizers that are in Galatia. And I said last week in the first five verses that what Paul does is Paul's arguing from the experience of the Galatians to show that it is faith that begins the Christian work Christian life is faith that perfects the Christian life, and it's faith that sustains the Christian life. If you remember, these Judaizers are claiming that the believers in Galatia need to be circumcised, they need to follow the law, and Paul is saying, no, listen, you know from your own experience that it was by faith that you were given the Spirit. That's what he says in verses in verse. Two, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing the faith? These are rhetorical questions Paul asks. Second rhetorical question is, have you begun by this? Have you begun by the Spirit? So Paul answers his own question. He says, did you begin by works? No, you began by the Spirit. And having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Then he goes on to say, did you suffer in so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? To see who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you by faith, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. 
Now in verse 6, Paul's going to answer his question again. So I'm going to read 6 through 9, and we're going to walk through this one verse at a time. These are excellent passages to preach because the outline is right there for me. I don't have to think hard about it. Four verses, four points. So here's Galatians 3, 6 through 9. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Paul is turning the tables on these Judaizers. So the Judaizers are claiming from, or from Genesis 17 that you need to be circumcised in order to be counted among the children of Abraham. And what Paul is about to do and what Paul does is he says, no, and I'm going to prove you wrong using your own patriarch to show you that it was not even Abraham who was justified by works. That Abraham himself was justified by faith apart from works. The point I want to make out of verse 6 is that when we have faith, we are counted righteous on the basis of our faith. We are counted righteous because of our faith. Paul speaks here of Abraham's faith being counted to him as righteousness. When he says that, he is saying that God is giving him something that does not exist within himself. Do you notice that? Paul says Abraham was counted righteous because of his faith. He wasn't righteous, and then he had faith. He was counted as righteous for having had faith. This is important for us to understand because if it's in the reverse, then righteousness is by works. If we're righteous and then we have faith, we're doing something to get that righteousness. We're doing something to be counted righteous in front of God. The scripture says we're not. We can't be. All throughout scripture, it points to the unrighteousness of men before God. Psalms 143, 1 and 2 is David praying. And he says, Who among the people is righteous? Who can stand before you as righteous? Enter not into judgment with your servant, this is verse 2, for no one living is righteous before you. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says the same thing. For there are no righteousness, no righteous people. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Romans 3 says there is none righteous, no, not one. So this righteousness needs to come from somewhere else because it's not intrinsic to ourselves. In Abraham's case, he's counted righteous on behalf of his faith. God, being the righteous ruler of the universe, has the ability to say, that person is righteous, that person is not righteous. The best analogy, although it breaks down, is the, is the analogy of a pardon. Do you know what a pardon is? A 
governmental pardon. The government has the ability to go to somebody sitting anywhere in the penal system and give a pardon to that person. Be able to say, even though you have broken the law, even though you're serving the punishment for that, breaking that law, I am declaring you to be righteous. I am declaring you not guilty, even though you are. That breaks down, though, when we come to the Christian faith, because God, being a righteous and just ruler, cannot just overlook our sins. He cannot just say, you're righteous because I say you're righteous. He would not be just if your sins were not accounted for, if your, if your sins were not atoned for. So here's where Christ enters into the picture. Christ becomes that righteousness that we need. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Paul makes the statement that for our sake, he, being God, made him, being Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The theological term is imputed righteousness. It's righteousness that's not your own, that God gives to you on behalf of Christ. And the same thing happened on the cross. Christ went to the cross sinless, and your sin and my sin was given to him. There was no sin in him. But he took your sin and he took my sin. And he bore the wrath of God for you and for me. Not for his sin. He couldn't do it if he had his own sin. It was your sin and my sin that was given to him to bear the penalty for. And on behalf of that and because of that, when we place our faith in Christ, his righteousness, his perfect conformity to the law of God in thought, in word, and in deed, his righteousness is then given to you. It's not in you. It's given to you. So when Christ, when God looks at you, the sinner, if your faith is in Christ, he sees Christ. This is why Christ is the intercessor and the mediator for us. He is in heaven now, standing between his children and God, interceding on our behalf because of his righteousness, not because of what's in us. So you see what Paul is doing here. Paul is going back, and if we go back to Genesis 15, which is where this quote comes from. Genesis 15 is Abraham hearing the word of the Lord in a vision, and God says to him, Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me, for I continue childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, and Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven, and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And here's where our quote comes from. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. He had faith that what the Lord said was going to happen. It was against all human wisdom. He didn't have a son. He's 
in his 80s, if not 90s at this point. Sarah's old. She's past the point of bearing children. God says, you're going to bear a son. And through that son, I'm going to bless you. So your offspring shall be the number of the stars if you're able to number them. Now we're not called to a blind faith. Don't hear me saying that. We have the word of God in front of us that we need to place our faith and our trust in what the word of God says about Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we are given. We are imputed with Christ's righteousness. So Paul's going right at the Judaizers. And I love this type of theology. He's taking their argument and he's using it against them. He says, you have to be circumcised in order to be declared righteous. And Paul says, no, no you don't. Abraham, the patriarch, the one who you're looking to, was declared righteous before he was circumcised. So why do you think these Galatian believers need to be circumcised? The second argument make that Paul makes comes from verse 7 in Galatians. He says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So faith, not our outward actions, makes you the son of Abraham. The Judaizers and the, and the Pharisees loved to claim that they were the children of Abraham because they were descendants of Abraham, because they were circumcised, because they could trace their heritage right back to Abraham. They loved to do that. But Paul here is saying, along with Jesus elsewhere in John 8, if you want to turn to John 8, we'll look at that passage as well. Paul is saying that, no, it's, it's not the physical descent, the lineage of Abraham that makes you a son of God. It is the faith that you place in Christ just as Abraham placed his faith in God. Listen to what Jesus says in John 8. They answered him, verse 39, Abraham is our father. So right there they're saying, listen, Abraham, because we can trace our lineage back to Abraham, he is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father. Jesus right here is saying, you may be descendants of Abraham, you may be circumcised like Abraham, you may be following the law that was given to Moses and to the Israelites, and to, but you're, you're not children of Abraham, because you're not walking in the faith that Abraham walked in. You're trusting, you're relying in your physical descent, you're trusting, you're relying in your circumcision, you're trusting, and you're relying in your adherence to a law and claiming that on that basis you're a child of Abraham. But Paul says in Jesus, it's, that's not where it's at. Romans 4.12 says, to make him being Abraham the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of faith. So outward circumcision counts for nothing if it's not done and taken in the faith that Abraham had. Jeremiah 
4, 1 through 4, it says to circumcise your hearts. It was to be an outward display of an inward change. It was not just the act of circumcision that made you a child of Abraham. It was that act of circumcision in the faith that Abraham said. That's what Paul says again in Romans 9, 6, and 7. He says, For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. You see the argument that Paul is making here. He's Again, he's turning the... He's turning the thoughts and the argument of these Judaizers right around in front of them. Abraham's not circumcised until Genesis 17. Paul has just gone back to Genesis 15 and said, no, wait a minute. Paul would, or Abraham was justified before that. And those who have faith like Abraham, they're the true descendants of Abraham. They're the ones that are blessed along with Abraham. It's not adherence to a law. It's not coming here every Sunday morning, banking this and checking this off as, well, this is me being righteous. This is me doing what I'm supposed to be doing. It's where's your faith? Have you placed your faith in Christ? That is what justifies us. That is what blesses us along with Abraham. Paul makes one more twist on this whole thing with the Judaizers. If you look at verse 8, he says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Paul has just gone back two more chapters, three more chapters, to Genesis 12. And he says, Listen, you guys have got this backwards. You think it's in your walking in the law. You think it's in Abraham's walking according to the circumcision. You think it's Abraham's adhering to all of this stuff. Paul says, no. See, Scripture preached the gospel. He preached justification by faith long before this. Salvation has always been by grace through faith. He goes back to Genesis 12. And he says the scriptures preached this gospel long before Abraham was circumcised, long before the promise of children, long before the law was given. It was preached in Genesis 12, and we can go back to Genesis 3, where there's a seed of a woman who's promised to crush the head of the serpent. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman who comes to crush the head of the serpent, even while the serpent strikes at his heel. So we get mixed up sometimes when we think about the law, and Paul's going to get to this later in Galatians, but we see this law, we see the law that's given in the Old Testament, and we automatically think, well, they were given the law, they adhered to the law, so God saved them. Abraham, Paul saying, no, this goes back long before that. See, the law was given, if you read Exodus 20, which is where the Ten Commandments were given, if you read Exodus 19, God lays out, listen, I've delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians. I have already delivered you. They've been saved. If you go to Hebrews 11, it says that the Israelites, by faith, put the blood on the doorpost, and were saved because of that. 
This is before the law comes in. I was going to have Hebrews 11 read this morning, the entire chapter. Hebrews 11 walks through, it's called the Hall of Faith. It walks through the patriarchs of the church. It walks through all of the men and women in the Bible that are saved by faith. There's no works of the law in it. They place their faith in the word that they hear from God's messengers, and because of it, they are delivered. The Israelites place their faith in God, saying, trusting that when he said that he would pass over their land, he would pass over their house, they trusted him that he would do it, and that's what the Lord did. They did what they were told to do out of faith. And so then we come to Exodus 19, and God lists this whole thing again. He says, because I delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians, because I had you walk across the Red Sea, because I fed you in the wilderness, because I gave you water from the rock, because I delivered you, now this is how you shall live. The law becomes to us as believers who place our faith in Christ a rule of life, not a set of rules to be followed so God will look on us with favor. He's already looked on us with favor because of our faith in Christ. We're justified by faith alone, but justifying faith is never alone. It comes with and is followed by the works that are out of a grateful heart towards a, towards a gracious and loving God who has delivered us from our sins. So salvation has always been by grace through faith. The last point comes from Galatians 3, 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. If you know the story of Abraham, you know he was given a lot of stuff. He was blessed financially. Some say in the ancient Near East, he was the richest man around. You go to Genesis 12, 1 through 4. We're told that he's going to be blessed with sons. He's going to be blessed with a land. He's going to make him a great nation. God's going to bless you and make it name great so that you will be a blessing. So your kindred in your father's house. He's going to leave his father's house and he's going to give him the land that he's going to show him. Galatians 15, 1 through 5 that I just read. He's going to give him a whole bunch of offspring, not having any. Galatians 17, 1 through 8. Kings are going to come. Nations are going to come. Kings are going to come. I'm going to make you exceedingly fruitful. I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. God has promised to bless Abraham beyond his wild imagination. Turn with me to Hebrews 11, if you will. I found this interesting this week as I was studying. Verse 13, these all died in faith, meaning everyone that comes before him. Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they came, had gone out, 
they would not they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them the city. To be blessed along with Abraham is to have your sins forgiven, to be justified in the face of God. Yes, Abraham was given and promised blessing. Abraham was told he would be a great nation. Abraham was told he would be made rich beyond all of his wildest imaginations. And he was. But I believe, and I trust that you believe, that your salvation, you're being justified in the face of God, you're being declared righteous, is better, far better, than any promise of earthly riches that you may or may not receive. Romans 4, 7 through 8. It says that blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. This is Paul in Romans 4 expounding even deeper than we're going here in Galatians 3 on what it means that Abraham was justified by faith. Abraham was declared righteous he was imputed with Christ's righteousness because he had faith in, in God. That is the blessing that we are guaranteed from God. That's the blessing that Abraham got. That's the blessing that Abraham held so dear. As Hebrews 11 makes clear, they died, Abraham died without seeing the promises that he was told. But he was not looking back. He was looking forward to that heavenly city that God had been preparing so I ask you this morning, do you have faith in Christ? Have you placed your faith in Christ this morning and his finished work on the cross for you? Or are you still trusting and resting in something that you think you're doing? There's no inherent righteousness in us if we expect, if we want to stand before God and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, we must first place our faith in Christ. We can't do it any other way. It's always been this way. As we saw, salvation has always been by grace through faith. We do the outworkings of the law. We do the good deeds that we're called to do out of a, general, out of a, out of a gracious heart for God, for having delivered us from our sins. Not to earn righteousness, but because we've been declared righteous, do we do those things? And to be blessed along with Abraham is to have your sins forgiven. It's not the prosperity gospel. It's not your best life now. Think about that. If this is your best life, heaven is not going to be very fun. If this is the best we're going to do, what does that say about heaven? Your best life is not now. Your best life is when you die in the righteousness of Christ, having your sins been forgiven. And Paul says to close our eyes in here, to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. That will be your best life. So where's your faith this morning? We prayed for two brothers this morning who were placing their faith in Christ to heal them. 
I'm trusting, I'm praying, I'm hoping that your faith is in Christ. If not, examine your heart. Word tells us that we are not guaranteed tomorrow. Life is a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. There is no chance after you die to seek forgiveness. Scripture says today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Let's pray. Father, how fitting it is this morning to have prayed the prayer of faith for two brothers. But I never could have imagined preparing this message, thinking through the lesson this morning that we are justified, just like Abraham was, by faith alone. That we would come to you this way in faith, trusting, placing our faith in you to heal these brothers. Father, beyond that, I'm asking, I'm praying that if there's anyone within the sound of my voice that does not know whether they are saved or not, or that you would grant them the faith that they need to trust in Christ for their righteousness, to trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, and to be declared righteous, to be given that righteousness that comes only from Christ, so that when they die and they stand before God their Maker, they can hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. But I pray that the faith that we need you would grant to us. That as we live out this life, as we go from this place, that our faith would be holy and solely placed in Jesus Christ. That nothing that we've done, nothing that we did. Father, help us where our faith is weak. Help us in those areas of our lives where we struggle to trust you, knowing that through the circumstances that we're in, through the hardship, through the pain that we experience, from the letdowns, relational struggles, the trials. Father, give us the faith to trust that in all these things you are working for the good of those who love you. Father, may we have the faith of Abraham that looks at our circumstances and said, I don't feel this right now, but because the word of the Lord says it, it has to be true. It is true. Father, give us that faith. Give us the faith that is rooted in the Word of God, not in our experiences, not in our fickle emotions. Father, be with us as we leave this place. May we carry that faith with us, with us into the workplace tomorrow. Father, into our families, wherever it may be that we go. So we go to school. I pray that the faith that we have in Christ will dictate how we live our lives. That we would be a light in this dark and dying world. I ask all this in the precious name.